Okay, I think they've got that finished. So uh, if you kind of make your way back to your seat, I'd appreciate that. I hear tell the preacher here this morning's a little long-winded, unlike uh, some of the other ones that we've had in uh, uh, the interim time here looking for a new pastor. Back in the dark ages when I went to school, wow, um, teachers would give partial credit for answers and professors would give partial credit for answers that were really missed, but you got part of it right, they said. Thank God, yeah. Okay. You know, like in a math class where you had several steps to get to the end and you got all of them right except the last one, you know, and you really missed it though, right? But they give you partial credit. I can remember, you know, uh, walking in and he's one of the questions was, uh, uh, outline uh, Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, I missed a few places along the way and got partial credit, you know, uh, didn't get them all. I've kind of pondered that in terms of relationship with God. I'm not sure God's big on partial credit, especially when it comes to things of salvation. You can get a whole lot right about Jesus. He was a prophet. He was a wise person. He was a good man. He was a, a teacher. You can get a whole lot right about Jesus and still miss heaven, can't you? You pretty much got to get the, the essential of Jesus being the Son of God and the essential of, being, of Him being Lord and Savior of your life correct. And what those mean in, in terms of faith for you, or you don't get partial credit for that. I, I don't know of any place in the Bible that talks about some place between heaven and hell that you get to go and hang out and live if you get partial credit, right? Either in or you're out. Now, there may, there may be another side of the tracks in heaven where Troy and I are going to be based upon works and all of that. But you're either in this side of the pearly gates or you're not. You're either on the other side of the gates of hell that the Bible talks about or you're not. And so it's important for us to get some things right. And I don't think there's anything more important for us to understand than who God is, first of all. And to get that, you got to understand who Jesus is. And really, that's what Christmas is uh, about in terms of our celebration. It's God in flesh coming to dwell and live among us. And the weight and the importance of that in terms of restoration of our relationship with God and in terms of our life and life eternal are tantamount. You can know a lot of things, but unless you get this one right, you really haven't spent enough time looking at the right stuff. And I'd say the best place to start is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just take a real good look at the book of Jesus. And if you're so interested and so busy that you don't have the time to read those four little books, start with John. Just read it. At least you'll have some glimpse, some idea of this Savior. And if that doesn't whet your appetite, then uh, you've made a choice, haven't you? Hebrews 1, let's read it. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. That's a real clear message, isn't it? I'm working through Ezekiel right now. 
Uh, crazy stuff there. But in these last days, are we in the last days, Owen? Yeah, I woke him up. Uh, okay. We're in the last days. In these last days, he says, he, God, has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of the father's glory and the exact representation of his being. Did you get that? Nobody can say that about any other individual that I know. Preston's not the exact representation of his dad, his wife, his kids, nothing, right? Are you the exact representation of anybody? I mean, that is even beyond imagination in terms of pondering to think that Jesus is standing among us, one who is the exact representation of God the Father. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to see in perfection what he is, it was there. It walked in flesh among us. It was the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what scripture teaches. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, this is your word. This time of year overwhelms me, Lord. The whole story of man and our history and our relationship with you and our redemption in our eternity, God, it's overwhelming. And it's what we celebrate, Lord, at this time of year. And so, Lord, pull our hearts and our thoughts and our minds to this in such a way that we encounter the living God this morning, Lord. That we are brought once again to the magnitude of the grace that has been poured out on us in Christ Jesus. And, Lord, that demands a response. And help us to man up, Lord, to the response that you expect from us and to reach out in faith and to be more the people you want us to be. Use this time, Lord. Don't waste it. Make it useful in our lives for your kingdom's purposes. Amen. Point is, and what we want to point out, is the superiority of the revelation of God that we have in the Son to every other revelation that you and I have had and will have this side of glory and the significance of that. So I guess the question is really simply this. Where would you be without Jesus? Where would you be without Jesus? You say, well, God could still be the object of my faith. He was in the Old Testament, right? For a lot of people, they didn't have Jesus, but God was still the object of their faith. But how did that look different? What would your faith look like if what you had to go on, let's take the New Testament away, let's take Jesus out of the picture. What would your faith look like if all you had was the Old Testament? If all you had was creation, if all you had was the working of God with his chosen people, Israel, what would your faith look like? You say, well, if I had the Old Testament, you know, because of where my heart is and so forth, surely I would have had this whole thing put together, right? 
Man, if I had the Old Testament, I'd be so messed up. You know, in the early days, I had some people that told me, they said, Rick, some professors, some wise counsel, I'm not talking just bozos, these were people who had a, a grip on things, that would tell me, Rick, you know you got an Old Testament theology. It had a lot of, it had a lot of judgment. It had a lot of fear of the Lord. It had a lot of God's wrath in it, but it didn't have a lot of God's love. It didn't have a lot of God's grace. I'd missed something in there. The Old Testament, somehow or another, it, it, it's lacking. And you say, well, no, it's not. It's, it's, there's enough there for you to be able to find God. Mm, okay, yeah, but there's a lot there that can confuse you too. And even in the Old Testament, they're looking forward to redemption that they knew God had yet to sin. They were looking for a Savior. It was lacking. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are perfect examples of that, right? They had reduced it to a set of rules that they were trying to keep in order to please God. And you say, well, they were just, their hearts weren't right. They were all messed up. Well, what about the Apostle Paul? His heart surely was right. He had the Old Testament, the law, the teaching that was his. And man, he was going full bore with that, wasn't he? Until he found Jesus in a blinding light on the road to Damascus where he was going persecuting Christians to put them in jail and do whatever they could with them. He stood there already whenever he saw, uh, help me, huh? Stephen Stone. You're all going to get old and it sucks, okay? It just is the way it is. So far, I've always been able to recall, recall my wife's name. Let's hope that continues. But there's no guarantee on that, folks. Stephen, thank you. There's our Bible scholar over here, Preston, calling me out. My point is, he missed it. And it took a blinding light on the road to Damascus. Scales falling from his eyes so that he could see. Three years in the... Uh, in the wilderness there. Remember he left there and went into the desert for a while? What was he doing in the desert? Scholars speculate on that, and we don't really know, but this is what I think. I think he went back and got his Old Testament and read it again to figure out what in the world was going on, wouldn't you? I mean, if you had a revelation, you take it and you put it in light of the Word of God and say, what in the world is happening here, right? Is this something that's from God? I think it took him three years to go through all those scrolls one more time, and on every page he found Jesus. And man, he was teaching the whole time. And then when somebody questioned his doctrine, he went to Jerusalem. And you remember what happened after that. My point, he messed up because all he had was the Old Testament. And when Jesus was standing right in front of him, he missed him because of the frame of, of mindset that he had in understanding who God was going to be. Can we miss God the same way? Yeah, because we create somehow, somewhere, our image or impression of God. And he's got to fit into that. And all of a sudden he shows up in a blinding light on the road to Damascus and says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, that is not what I'm doing. I thought I was defending the faith. I'm so glad I don't have just an Old Testament. Let me tell you, I'd be a mess. Ooh, I'm already one that can lean on the law and the fear of the Lord. And I love the law of the harvest. I've been accused of being a person in my early days that loved truth and people were, my love for truth was so much that people were expendable. And over the years, God has begun and slowly shown me 
I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the people are important. And you can't throw away people and hold to the truth. You hold to the truth in order to redeem people. Took a while. I would be messed up. What do you say? Creation, though, because it says that in Romans, right? The Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world's God's invisible quality, his eternal power, and his divine nature, they've been clearly seen being understood through what has been made. So people are without excuse. There you go. We can understand God perfectly and clearly from creation, right? We got all we need right there. What would you have if that's all you had? Well, certainly I'd understand something of God's faithfulness because I see the sun come up in the morning and it goes down over here every night, right? And there's this process of seasons that happens and there's this faithfulness of the Lord that I see in this and I work honeybees and there's just amazing uniqueness that I see in God. And I've studied enough to know they tell me, and I don't know because they melt when they hit my hand, but they say no snowflakes, two of them are the same. And so I look at this and I can say, wow, God, you're creative, you're you're pretty concerned about detail. Yeah, when you're in the beehive, you know he's very concerned about detail. I look at a bug this big and go, no way. No way can that thing do all that it can do. And if you're a beekeeper, man, you, you yeah, I always say the beekeeper meetings that I go to, if, if you reject Jesus and you're a beekeeper, there's a special place in hell for you because you should have seen him right there. You should have been looking for God. But we miss him. I watched the little show Alone. I love those. Have you seen it? You know, it's the one where they try to survive for so many days and they don't give them anything to survive with it. it surely I'm not the only one that watches that, right? Okay, a few of you, yeah. You know, love to see people suffer trying to survive, right? You know what? I, I don't think I've yet seen a Christian on that show. And what they do is, maybe I have, maybe he just hit it really well. You know, Preston's going, yeah, there was one. Two. Wow. Okay, there you go. What they do is worship the creation instead of the creator. And they get a rabbit and they go, oh, thank you, Mother Earth, for the rabbit. How can you do that? How can you look at the creation, the detail of it? How can you look at a tree and not know that there was something beyond that that created it? A being out there that put all of this together. I can't even look at my own hand and how it works and not see that. Okay, so we surely would have been drawn to worship the creator instead of the creation, right? I wouldn't have made that mistake, or you either, right? No, it's really easy to get off track. And Paul says people do it all the time. In that first chapter of Romans, he says, yeah, you're without excuse because you didn't have enough sense to see beyond to know that there was a creator that you needed to look for. And the Bible says that if you seek the Lord with your whole heart, you'll find him. He ain't hiding from him. But I'm saying to you, what would your revelation be? What would your understanding of God be without, without Jesus? If all you had was that Old Testament, if all you had was creation, and people say, well, yeah, we have this biblical historic, historical narrative of God working with the children of Israel, right? And in that, he was working to redeem the whole world. And we see that, and we know that, and we understand that. And it is crystal clear, isn't it? Isn't it? And people say today that God is still working with the nation Israel, right? And he's still doing some things with them because they're his 
chosen people. Okay, let's just run that narrative right on through. I'm telling you, God is speaking volumes to me. I am learning so much about God watching Hamas and Israel duke it out right now. Are you? You reckon you might miss God in all this? And some of you are going, boy, yeah, I see God working big time. The only reason you see God working big time is because you got Jesus. And because you got a New Testament, and you can add understanding to this that you wouldn't be able to do without Jesus. And you're going, all this makes sense to me. Go back to the Old Testament and see if you can put it together the same way. Without Jesus, it doesn't make the same sense. You're already jumping ahead. You take that away, what do you got? You're messed up. Do you understand the superiority of the revelation of Jesus Christ? When He came and showed us exactly what God was like, all of a sudden, the lights come on, baby. It's like game on. Everything has changed. Everything is new for us. There is nothing more significant in all of history than Jesus Christ coming in human flesh, dwelling among us, not only for us, but for those before us, without whom the redemption of mankind, past, present, and future, would not be possible. They were looking forward to a Savior, and we're looking back to a Savior. But looking back gives us so much more insight. Okay, let's look at this, and let me take it... I, I, I really wanted to do a whole bunch here, but I just don't have time. But let me take this and just look at this from the standpoint of one of God's attributes. Because it, it really comes down to this. You relate to people based upon what your perception of them is, don't you? Think about that. I've shared this before. Let's go over it again because I haven't preached in a while, all right? If every time I came in that back door, Michael slapped me. When I came in that back door and saw Michael, would that affect the way I responded to him? Because you ain't that old yet. <laughs> or maybe I ain't that old yet. Okay, maybe that's it. If you come through that door and he gives you a great big hug and you're met with love and warmth, what happens? You respond to him that way, right? I'm saying to you, your concept of God is the most important thing you put together. And if you get that wrong, listen to me, if you get that wrong, you will respond to God in the wrong way. How many marriages fall apart because a wife doesn't think the husband love her, loves her or the but the husband doesn't think the wife loves him, and all the time they do. I can remember Lori and I going through a stage where we looked at each other and I, <coughs> she was saying, I love you, and I'm going, you don't even know what that means. I don't think you love me. And so how did I respond to her? Like a dearly loved wife? No. We finally got to a point where we said, we're not going to judge each other by our actions. We're going to go by, you know what they say, nonverbal speaks way louder than verbal. We decided we were going to ignore nonverbal and believe verbal. You say you can't do that. Yeah, we did. I'd do something and she'd say, I don't think you love me. I love you, babe. I really love you. You know, and you remember my Christmas light story, right? She wanted to go down the street, see the Christmas lights. I'd been down there before. 
years before. There's no turnaround. You got to pull in somebody's driveway. I mean, it's, it was just a nightmare. And she said, let's go down there. I said, no, we're not going down there. She said, if you love me, you'd go down there. I love you, babe. This has nothing to do with love. It's, you see what I'm saying? We decided that we would believe each other's words. And in doing that, we began to relate to each other based upon something that was truth and not just garbage. Listen, if you're relating to God in terms of, of who he is not, then you're going to miss so much. And if you're not careful with it, he's just a good teacher. He's just a prophet. He's just a good man. And you get a partial answer that leads you to a place in eternity that you don't want to be. So let's look. God's love here. Dear friends, he says this in John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. But whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. You don't get that very strong sometimes in the Old Testament. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Merry Christmas. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Merry Christmas. This is Christmas celebration. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. Wow. Merry Christmas again. And we have seen and we testify that the father sent, sent, sent his son to be the savior of the world. Merry, Merry Christmas. Are you getting this? And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, then God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love loves or lives. Let me try again. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. You can preach hell. You can preach the law. You can take my sins and accuse me like the devil does, but I have confidence in the day of judgment because of the love of God that I know and understand because he sent his son, an atoning sacrifice for my sin, the son of God, the savior of the world. And I have this understanding of him and put my faith and trust in him. Am I afraid of judgment? Oh, heck no. Because love casts out all fear. There is no fear in love, 
But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God hates his, and hates his brother or his sister, they're a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Okay, talk about John for a minute. He's the guy that wrote this. Talk to John before he met Jesus and see if he would have said anything like this about love. He was probably keeping a law scared to death that he had one foot in hell, if not two. He had a faith, some understanding. But because of Jesus, look at what he is able to put together. Look at how he understands the love and the mercy and the grace and the redemptive plan of God. Does Jesus make a difference? Jesus makes all the difference. You say, well, the Old Testament, you could get it. Jeremiah 31 Three says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. How would you have said an everlasting love would have looked? Take Jesus away. What is an everlasting love to you? It's certainly not standing here with the expectation that the heavens are going to break open and Jesus is coming back. I've loved you with an everlasting love. What does that mean? I don't know what they would have thought, but I know what I think. I got a Savior who is prepared a place for me in heaven. He went away to do that. And he said, he's coming back. And where he is, he's going to receive me, us, those who believe unto himself. And we're going to be there with him forever in eternity. Yeah, come up with that from the Old Testament. You won't be standing around looking for the Savior to come back and love you with an, that kind of an everlasting love. You're looking for a redeemer to come back so that you can maybe even get into the kingdom of heaven if you're one of the really smart ones or if you're one of the ones that the Holy Spirit has gifted with that kind of insight. Dude, this is amazing. We're on this side of the cross. I have loved you with an everlasting love means something completely different to me. And when Paul says, you know, I pray for you that you can understand how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That ain't Old Testament stuff. Woo! You want to be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God? You got to understand God's love. No, we got to know wrath. We got to know the law. We got to hold them over hell. You got to understand God's love, people. That's what will transform you. The rest of it will just scare the hell out of you. Hopefully. Woo! I can't help it. I sit around, I contemplate Christmas, I bawl my eyes out. I don't get this love. The width, the depth, the height. I, I don't get it. And Paul knew that. And so he prayed for us. And he said, I just pray you'll get it. Because if you get it, it's transforming. Because if you get it, you'll be full of the fullness of God. 
Get this. The love of God. Now, folks, I'm only talking about one characteristic of God. You want to talk about justice? You want to talk about wrath? You want to talk about those kinds of things? Then let's put them through the lens of Jesus Christ. Whoa, it's different. But I don't have time to do all those. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I do not need anyone to tell me how honey tastes. I know. Okay, so do I. And he said, I can say, my friend, that I know God loves me. I don't need to argue that point. I know it. Do you know it? Do you know it? I mean, we go through situations in life. Things fall apart in life and we say, well, God can't be loved. He wouldn't do this. God doesn't love me. He doesn't do Often, so often, I find people questioning God's love. And I've been through all kinds of garbage in my life. I never, ever have looked up and said, mm, you don't love me. He settled that issue once and for all on Mount Calvary. And I looked in the, the face of a bleeding Savior and into the eyes of a loving God. And there's no way in this world that I cannot believe and know with confidence the true love of God. And I have felt it in His provision and I have felt it in His presence and I have felt it in His walk with me by the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that guarantee of that eternity that He puts inside of us. I have known the love of God in my darkest hour. Got a verse I want to read you. I just got to find it. Here it is. Contrast this with what we have talked about. Go back to Deuteronomy 6 chapter. Love the Lord with all your God, with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. What does that mean, Old Testament? What does it mean, New Testament? Listen to what Ephesians 5 1 says. This is a New Testament twist on that. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of Love. The imitators of God, therefore, as what? Dearly loved children. As if that makes a difference. And live a life of love. Just as, you want an example? Christ loved us just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God. The difference in understanding love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength on one side of the cross versus this interpretation that you see in Ephesians 5 is huge. Because on one side, you have this concept with such clarity that you are a dearly loved child of God. And knowing this dearly loved kind of position that you're in is what Paul talked about that is so transforming and fills us to the fullness of God to live that life. Do you know your dearly loved child of God? Jean Croy walks around and she thinks that she lives day after day just pleasing and she says, I, I'm just a pleasure to God. I don't know if I can do that, Jean. I think I'm more of an annoyance sometimes, okay? I'm not sure every day of my life God just looks down and says, oh, I'm just so happy to be. But I think he looks down and he says, I dearly love you. 
You got a kid? Are you a parent? Is there ever a day you don't dearly love your kid? Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. You don't. You always dearly love your kid, right? And that ain't nothing. That ain't nothing compared to what the Heavenly Father does in His love for us. That understanding of being a dearly loved child changes everything. I am a dearly loved child of my earthly father. It's really easy for me to make a quantum leap and then magnify that because I'm talking about a heavenly father as to what it means to be a dearly loved child of my heavenly father. My dad knew I was preaching this morning. He writes me this little little text this morning that was amazing. I'd read it to you, but it's personal and I'd end up crying, all right? And all he's saying was, you know, there's a host of angels that are watching. All he was saying was that God's with you. You got this. You just preach the word, boy. Let do the Lord do what he wants to do. You know what? I have a dearly loved father who's got my back. I have a dearly loved heavenly father that's got not only my back, but my future, my eternity. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm a dearly loved child. Does that change anything? One is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to love the Lord. The other one is is in response to, what else could I do? Be imitators of God. Why? As dearly loved children. Why do I imitate? I'm a dearly loved child. Why do I love my heart, soul, mind, strength? I'm a dearly loved child. If you get it, it's natural. If you don't, you don't get it. Are, are you tracking with me? That's the quantum leap from Old Testament to New Testament. You live a life of love. And what does it look like? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice unto God. Okay. Now, if I had any sense, I'd stop the message there. But I don't get to preach much, all right? So, two more things I want to talk about. All right? <clears throat> no, it's not entirely my choice, all right? I want us to consider also what promises, if any, do you see that come as a result of the blessing of Jesus? Oh my goodness. The expectation of his return, the watching for that return, the promise of the everlasting life, the stuff that we've talked about already, the provision that he makes by the power of his Holy Spirit that puts a, puts a presence in my life so that no matter what I go through, he is there with me. I look at my life and sometimes I think, boy, I would just be absolutely consumed with the failings of my life. Led to believe like Paul was, hey, there's no good thing in me. And having an Old Testament that would surely validate that with the law. And look at that and you could come down to the end and say, you know, there's not an opportunity ever that I might on one single day please God like Miss Troy does every day. It's supposed to be a joke, okay? If she was here, she would have laughed, but anyway. But I have promises. Listen to this one. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have called according to his purposes. Dr. Reuben Torrey calls this a pillow, a soft pillow for a tired heart. 
You mean the mess that I am, God can move into that and he can do something incredibly glorious for the kingdom of God. He can use even my mistakes to bring praise, honor, and glory to himself and even my mistakes to grow, maybe my love relationship with him to transform me, to change me. Are, are you getting this? Now, I don't know what promises you're claiming. I don't know which ones you hold on to so that you cannot let go. But I tell you what, one I tell the Lord I want on my tombstone, it's, it is, uh, his mercies are new every morning. That's what I want. I hold on to those promises. Started in the Old Testament, validated in the New. His mercies are new every morning. And fresh because of Jesus. Promises. Man, we're looking for stuff that we wouldn't be looking for if we weren't celebrating Christmas. Purposes. See, I'm hurting. Purposes. Do you have purposes in your life, a purpose to your life? Do you understand God's purposes in this world differently because of Jesus? Yeah. We have a clarity to understanding why we're here, what we're doing, God's purposes for us individually. And then we understand things in the world in a different light as well. He says in the word in Romans, one of the things that the Lord is doing, he says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That one of the things he's doing is conforming us to the image of his son. You ponder that a little bit. God has a purpose in his life to make you like Jesus. All right, why would he do that? Well, what brought more glory to God in this world than Jesus? And really, he is the exact representation of the, of the Father, right? And he showed the world what the exact representation of the Father looked like by his life. And he's called us to live as we put our faith and trust in him and become this dearly loved child. And we begin to live out this faith. He's called us to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? Well, it's good for us, first of all, isn't it? I mean, come on. If you get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, wrath, malice, all that, are you going to be... A better person or a worse person? It's just good for you. But beyond being good for you, it's good for the witness and the testimony of God in this world. Remember I told you, when you're looking at God working on people and with people, it's awful hard to see God sometimes. Make no mistake, it's trouble with us too. A lot of people look at us and go, oh my goodness, if that's what God is, I don't want anything to do with him. You know? They need to look at Jesus and not us. But in some way, we are a reflection. We are a light to this world. And he wants that light to, bright, to shine brightly. I'm old. I hang out with old people now. And a uh, few kids along the way, too. I got grandkids. But even when I was young, to this stage of life when I'm old, I find people constantly looking for purpose. Constantly asking about purpose. Sat and visited with a good friend of mine this week who had some health issues and he's sitting and watching TV just literally all day because of where he's at health wise. And he said, I don't have a purpose anymore. I just wish the Lord would bring me home. Conform to the image of Christ. Maybe God's just taking you through all this because he wants you to be a little bit more like Jesus. 
Oh, that's not the purpose I was looking for. Right? How important is that? What do you teach your kids? What's more important? That your kids learn reading, writing, and arithmetic or learn character? Hmm? Some of you are going reading, writing, arithmetic. I don't want you for a dad, all right? What do we do? We spend all our time, energy, and effort trying to mold character into our children. Why do we do that? Because we know it's good for them. It's good for us. It is the best thing. It is far better than learning to read or to write or to do arithmetic. To know character is huge. Gentleness, goodness, meek, meekness, faith, temperance, kindness, love. Those are the things we teach our kids. You've got a heavenly father that says, I just want you to learn to read and write. I don't care about your character. Not. So maybe you're just in that school, in the hands of a loving father, in a place that you're looking for purpose beyond when he's working on a purpose right there. Let's get this right. Let's develop some character here. Michael, you got that picture? We got a picture here. Let me show you this picture. This is a, this is a beehive that died. Okay. Once I scraped the bits and pieces out of it and threw it in a tub. Okay. Let's leave it there. This is, uh, if you look at it, you can see mold. You can see that it's bug infested. If you open the tub that it's in, you'll go, Ooh. okay. Carrie's grinning. She had one of her uh, ag classes come over and we did a couple of honeybee things. And as they were leaving, she said, well, one of the kids asked, I don't know, they said, do you have any beeswax you can give us? Because they wanted some to, you know, make different things and then sell them at their ag event. And I said, sure, I got five tubs out there. I said, just take one of those tubs. This teenager walked over there, opened that tub and went, whoo, closed it and walked off. That was it. It was, it was terrible. Carrie went and picked one up and took it. And I called her about two weeks later and said, I'm starting the process of working through this stuff. If you want me to do that one too, I will. She said, it'll be there soon. This is a mess. This is what my life would look like without Jesus Christ. This is what my life looked like before I knew Jesus Christ. Next slide, Kevin. First thing you do is you run it through. You heat it up with water to water's boiling point. And in that process, you filter it. But you can't find filter it because it will stop up and you won't even get the wax out. So you filter it. And when you're done, this is what you end up with. Now, wouldn't you like to have something made out of that pre stuff? It's terrible. It won't work. You make a candle out of that. A candle works by wicking up the wax and burning it as it wicks it up. That would stop up your wick in two seconds and you wouldn't have a candle. You couldn't nurture that wick enough to make the candle burn. This is a mess, but it's a whole lot better than that other stuff, isn't it? God says, I'm going to conform you to the image of Christ. You got it all at once, didn't you? Just like your kids get it when you teach them character. You just got to tell them one time not to argue with their sister or brother, and they never do it again. Uh, that was round one. Round three. Here we go, Kevin. That's the next round. Now you take it and you process it again, but because you've got the big stuff out, you can put it through a finer filter. And when you're done with that filtration, 
now you have a product that you could actually use. But it's not being used yet. Final slide, Kevin. Ta-da! <clears throat> and there are some of the candles that I made. They're all different. That little fat one over there on the right, that thing will burn for 30 plus hours. The two little ones right in front of it will be lucky to get five. Why are they that way? Because that's the way I made them. Some of us are going to be long burning in this world. Some of us are going to be short burners in this world. Some of us are going to look like snowflakes. Some are going to look like little honey bears. Some may be looking like the outdoorsman that I am, you know. God molds us. He makes us. His creativity is that we're all different. And in that, we all still are the refined work of God to bring glory to Him in this world, to be a light for Him in this world until He calls us home. From the beehive, God teaches me. From His creation, He teaches me as I run it through Scripture. And He says, I am conforming you to the image of my Son. And you're going through what you're going through now, and you may not see any purpose in the world, but I'm a loving Father who cares about your character. And it's not just about this world, but the world to come. And I don't understand that, but he says in the word, physical training is of some value for this world, but spiritual stuff, it's good not only for this one, but the world to come. And so what's he going to do? Physically train us or spiritually train us? God has a purpose in conforming us to the image of Christ. Okay. Now, God has more than one attribute, love. God has more than one purpose which is conformity to the image of Christ. But I can't preach those series in one morning. But it suffice it to say, do you see the difference that Jesus makes? It's everything, isn't it? Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, the Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Don't forget that. What would you have without Jesus? Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, thank you. For Jesus, who was there at creation, who sustains this world, who redeems our souls, who's provided for our eternity, and who's coming back to get us. Lord, if we can't get excited about that, then I don't know what we are going to do. That is cause for celebration this time of year. Lord, I don't know why in your providential will I am where I am, but Lord, I'm so glad that I'm on this side of Jesus coming incarnate in flesh dwell among us. We should be more because we have been given so much more. More in purpose, more in promise, more in hope, more in understanding. Help us to live in those purposes, in those promises, in the power of the Spirit, the gift 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.